Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I, I'd like to welcome you to the 2017 Handley Page Lecture. Uh, I'm Professor John Fielding. I'm the chairman of the Cranfield College of Aeronautics Alumni Association, who is the co-sponsor of the lecture tonight. The other co-sponsor is the Royal Aeronautical Society, for which we are thankful. Uh, before we start, the usual things about phones off or on silent, and the emergency exits are labelled, so hopefully we won't need to use those. Uh, tonight's lecture is named after Sir Frederick Handley Page. Um, he designed very early aeroplanes in Britain. His aims were to have lightweight and efficiency, uh, making use of fabric and many wires in the early days. And I think many of those topics will come up later from Bill. Uh, Handley Page pioneered aviation in the UK and founded a great company. Uh, and we at Cranfield are still benefiting from that uh, in many ways, but most practically in the fact that we fly a jet stream aeroplane at the National Flight Laboratory Centre, which is a derivative of his, final, his company's final design. Uh, in 1943, a long time ago, uh, Handley Page was a member of the visionary panel that founded the College of Aeronautics, which was founded in 1946, and that's now become Cranfield University. So we owe a lot to him, and it's right that we honour him tonight. And we do that with the lecture, which I know you're going to enjoy. I've heard Bill speak many times. I first met him in 1982, 1983. Uh, I did something called a funded consultancy scheme in aircraft design, um, and the first part of that was to visit a vast, largely empty airfield at Cardiff. Uh, I came to meet the chief designer of the company, the Dragon Microlight Company, uh, and I was somewhat surprised to see what I thought was a 16-year-old there. Um, in fact, he was slightly older than 16, but not much. Uh, but he was a, obviously a, a sound engineer. Um, through no fault of Bill's own, in fact, I think several of the Dragon aeroplanes are still flying, the company uh, went pear-shaped, but I took the opportunity of asking him to come to Cranfield to do a master's in aircraft design, which he did, and then stayed on and did a, a PhD in composite wing uh, structural design. After leaving us, he became, as he is now, technical director and test pilot of P&M Aviation, and there's some flyers around about that company here. Not many people are both chief designer and chief test pilot, so it, it really gives quite an incentive to get your calculations right before you do the test flying. He's produced many, many designs, uh, and more than 3,000 of them have been built and are in service. That's a pretty good record for the British aircraft industry, isn't it? 3,000 aeroplanes built. Uh, he's the chairman of the Royal Aeronautics Society Human Powered Flight Group, and the BMMA, BMAA uh, test pilot, chief test pilot. He doesn't say on the CV that he sent us that he was the winner of the Scrappy Challenge on TV, with memory, along with memories, you might remember, he built wonderful flying aeroplanes out of Scrap Heap in, Cal in the California, I think. Uh, and then more recently, he built and piloted uh, a Pilcher triplane, a historic British triplane that never flew in the 1890s, but Bill flew it. In the, in the 2000s at Cranfield. So he's eminently qualified to give our 2017 100-page lecture, 50 Years of Flexing, Dr. Bill Brooks. 
Oh, steady on. I haven't started yet. Um, anyway, uh, uh, just a, a couple of caveats, really. Um, I'd say that this lecture, I'm not um, uh, purporting to give a, um, a definitive history of the subject of powered flex wings, um, but it's really been uh, my experiences in it, I suppose, and um, I hope that you find uh, some of it interesting. Um, so, um, first slide, this is a couple of P&M pulsars that look like they're spaceships invading the planet Zorg or something. It's actually um, on a day in January out over the um, gallops near Beckhampton, uh, Wiltshire, but um, it's... Uh, Yes, a, a bit of um, sort of science fiction come to life, really. Um, and this is an all-composite monocoque design, um, but still with uh, a strutted flex wing on the top. Um, anyway, let's go back to the beginning. Um, Fred Handley Page uh, knew another Royal Aeronautical Society member called Jose Weiss, and uh, he was inspired by the Zanonia seed. And the Zanonia seed is a, is a seed which um, is a self-stabilizing, tailless flying wing. And um, he was uh, fascinated by the aerodynamic properties of this. Um, they come off the tree and glide long distances. And with a bit of luck, I can demonstrate that um, I think I've done the, um, the health and safety risk assessment of this. <clears throat> so there's your Zanonia seed. Um, the centre of gravity is approximately, well, just a bit behind where this disc of plywood is. And so it's a bit... Um, I need a bit more up elevator than that, but you can see that it basically flies and it is stable. Um, and, um, yeah, so that's a tailless, um, a natural tailless flying machine. Um, meanwhile, Francis Regallo was um, a NASA scientist, and he was working on a means of recovering space capsules, but he was fascinated by kites and came up with this um, uh, flexible, um, flexible kite design. Um, yeah, as you can see, it doesn't have rigid structure in it, but it was this delta wing shape with two sort of pockets that would um, come out. Um, uh, he's um, been acclaimed as the father of modern hang gliding, but um, as you'll see in a moment, his original um, concepts, or the ones that were, were, were pioneered by NASA, were, were rather, rather over-complex, and um, an Australian, John Dickinson, really made it practical um, by inventing the control frame and the structure that goes with it. Um, so this is um, a NASA-sponsored uh, uh, Ryan Fleet, or flying jeep. And as you can see, it's got a pusher engine here, a sort of load-carrying platform here. Um, the pilot or victim here, and um, fuel tank. And you can see it's very low aspect ratio um, and uh, quite complex. I think this um, full-size wind tunnel is rather amazing. I wish we had a facility like that 
in, at P&M, but um, we just can't afford it. Um, so this is the um, NASA Parasev, um, which looks like a modern trike. It's the same sort of tricycle undercarriage layout, but it's very different proportions with this huge, great, long um, monopole or pylon. And if you look at the control linkage, you've got um, a control stick here that goes up to a pivot, and then it reverses the direction of control input here um, applied to the wing. So um, this pilot would be flying it. You can see his vice-like grip on the controls. <laughs> Uh, but he would be flying this in the conventional three-axis control sense, i.e., he would be um, pulling back on his stick, um, which would be reversed through this linkage into increasing the pitch on the wing and uh, pushing out to uh, descend. Uh, similarly, left-right, um, he would be rolling the wing but uh, he'd be applying a roll in this direction to drop this wing down and roll it. Um, we um, at, at P&M, around about 2004, uh, we actually um, kind of reproduced this sort of control sense um, with a, a P&M Quick, which we removed the control frame from and put a control column on it. Um, we called it the quick stick because it had a control stick. Um, but, my goodness, it was, um, it was just like having learnt to ride a bicycle and then being presented with one with crossing your hands over on the handlebars. Um, I took off with this creation and... Um, I sort of got the hang of it, but I needed about half an hour flying it before I could hope to possibly land it, um, <laughs> which was um, a little bit of a worry. Um, anyway, what was I doing in 1965? Um, I was already playing around with two-stroke engines and propellers um, and learning about dangerous machinery, it appears. Um, so... Um, yes, this wasn't terribly successful. I think the thrust was insignificant, which was fortunate for the inhabitants of Bedlington, where we lived, I think. Um, so, um, moving on. And the first bit of this is about powered hang gliding, really. Um, 1977, my friend Simon Wooten... Um, <coughs> put a power plant on a, a Chagas Midas E. And you can see that uh, from the early Regalo, um, this wing has now got a much higher aspect ratio and it's got um, aerofoil battens in it, so it has a much more efficient aerodynamic shape. And you can see that um, it has the control frame, which John Dickinson invented, Basically, the idea is that these uprights take compression, base bar takes tension, your flying wires take tension, and pilot hangs from the apex of it, about which he can lever the wing around um, and affect um, control. So it's um, a fantastically elegant and simple solution to the problem of structure and control, uh, all done without movable 
uh, flying surfaces. Um, so with this um, Midas E, uh, Simon was just about able to foot launch this off level ground. Now, this is a McCulloch 100cc engine with a direct drive to a little propeller. And at this time, everybody had forgotten how to make um, uh, efficient propellers. And uh, Simon actually wrote a propeller design program on a very early PC um, to um, work it all out and uh, get it flying. Um, however, there is one problem with this layout, and that is this high thrust line. Um, there's a, a little bit f um, further on. Uh, you might have noticed on the Midas the size of the propeller. I think it's 24 inches in diameter. It's about that much diameter. Direct drive. Um, problem being that... Um, if you try and drive a bigger diameter with a two-stroke engine, the tips go supersonic, and then you have a, an extreme drag rise, apart from making a terrible, terrible noise, which is um, even worse than the engine. So I suppose the next step in development was the, the sort of sawmaster layout, and this is a Chrysler two-stroke engine with a reduction drive, which has, I think by, ch uh, by chain... Uh, driving through this long drive shaft to a prop at the back and uh, a skid to um, prevent you striking the propeller on the ground. Um, and Len Gabriels um, of Skyhook, he uh, flew across the English Channel in this machine. But um, this high thrust line uh, gave quite a few problems, especially as some of the wings of the era were not terribly stable in pitch as well. The basic problem being that if you approach the stall um, with the power on, um, as the nose dropped in the stall, the, the high thrust line would tend to rotate the whole thing around the combined CG of the pilot and wing and tumble it over upside down. And um, this wasn't uh, a healthy thing to be doing. Um, there was at least one fatal accident in the UK because of it, and that led to research by um, Liz Kilkenny at Cranfield about the pitch stability of hang gliders um, uh, and the certification of them as well. Um, yeah, so tumbling and high thrust lines and things were a problem. So I thought, hmm, what's needed is... Um, a powered hang glider, um, which would be resistant to tumbling. So um, I came up with this kind of design, and at the time I was studying at Lanchester Polytechnic, um, Coventry, and uh, I just learnt to fly hang gliders. And I've been flying models for years, um, and this is a model of, uh, of one of my canards, um, just a free flight model. This is cling film. Um, but the foreplane um, gave a great stabilising effect. Now, I may also have been inspired at the time by the Gossamer Albatross, which was a canard layout as well. But it was um, very contemporary, because this was 1980. I suppose the Gossamer Albatross and Condor were 78, 79 time. Um, Anyway, this, uh, this flew very well. The pilot's name is Ben Twyer. Um, and um, that worked all right. Um, 
And I developed this design through a series of models and published it in the Aeromodeler magazine. Um, this one um, was uh, quite difficult to handle, but um, it, uh, it helped prove the principle. The early models were all controlled in roll by a rocking foreplane, um, but uh, later on I realised that the problem with rocking the foreplane for lateral control is that if you simultaneously want to get the nose down and apply down elevator and roll it at the same time, you can't do it. Um, so I went to spoilers, but spoilers gave too much drag on their own. So I developed things I called slot lip ailerons, which were like a spoiler with a vent underneath. So it would have a, a degree of aileron effect and a degree of, um, of drag. Um, so I built this up full size, and this model is um, the actual model I built of it before I produced the full size one. I generally tend to do this. Of, if I'm working on a strange design, I'll build a model. Um, it, it helps you visualize it three-dimensionally. Um, but you can see it's festooned with wires, but it makes the structure very light and very strong. Um, <clears throat> Uh, the control surfaces are these um, here, which um, operate above, um, above slots. So as you can see, you get a degree of, of aileron effect plus drag. And these control surfaces were operated off sliders on the control bar, so that if I wanted to turn to the left, I'd pull a slider this way, and it would pull this control surface up, and round it would go. Um, other thing about it is that with a conventional canard, if you have a fixed centre of gravity um, and the centre of gravity is far forward enough, um, the foreplane operates at a higher lift coefficient than the main plane and tends to stall first and then the nose will drop and it will continue to fly um, so you can't stall the main wing. However, in my case, um, I wanted to foot launch and land this so I needed to move the centre of gravity and get the whole machine stalled. Um, unfortunately, the, its only dangerous characteristic, really, was that if you were flying along and you entered a thermal, nose went up, um, my weight in the harness would go back, the foreplane incidents would increase, and everything would go terribly quiet while I did a great sort of... Um, press up on the bar, trying to get my weight forwards again, get it flying again. So um, uh, that um, was a little stressful at times. Um, so this was my final year um, degree project at Lanchester Polytechnic. Um, design and build and fly your own flying machine. Um, so the ground skimming progressed up to proper Clydes. And... Um, then eventually to um, uh, a foot launch takeoff, um, in this case from Finmere. So you can see this is uh, an 89cc still chainsaw engine, and um, there are plenty of model aircraft engines that are bigger than that these days. Um, that's the fuel tank, just enough for a, a short flight. But if you look here, that black blob is a um, Super 8 cine camera because there were no GoPros then. <laughs> and um, 
I've actually had the film around for, for years and years, and this lecture prompted me to get it converted onto, um, onto a USB stick. And so I've actually got some of the original film. Um, oh, this is the transport. Um, <coughs> I only had a motorcycle licence, and I was fundamentally opposed to cars, but I was forced to get something that would transport my flying machine around, um, and you can see that it all packed up into um, a bag like this. That's the complete um, structure that you see there. Everything folds up. And, um, yes, very, very carefully round the corners this was. So, this is, uh, this is a film I made at the time. Um, Super 8. <clears throat> so it starts off with a couple of views of, of Finmere, which is where I did the first um, level ground takeoffs from. There's the Reliant. Conditions look suitable. There it is, being rigged up. As you can see, it looks just like that. The engine was started by flipping the prop. Um, these are test glides from Quainton Hill, where I learned to fly hang gliders near Aylesbury. And as you can see, it was reasonably stable. And you can see the control surfaces working in roll to, to correct it. And it was quite high aspect ratio, as you can see, aspect ratio of about eight. So... Although it was quite draggy at high speed, at low speed it had a good, a good glide and it didn't take much power to fly it. So, there it is again. The only instrument I had on it was a, um, a ventimeter. Uh, this is the camera mounted on the keel. This is the first time I flew it off Dunstable Downs. So I think there's just an input coming in to get it to turn round. Here we are, approaching the ground rather fast. <clears throat> That's some sort of landing. <laughs> this is off, off the hill. The engine is now running. There's sceptical people standing here. <laughs> High speed running. But it does actually fly. Um, the climb rate, I think, was all of about 150 feet a minute, if I was lucky. And I, I weighed about 60 kilograms ringing wet at the time, so I don't think it would climb with me now. Um, it flew at a speed of 27 miles an hour and I always landed it power off and you can see it coming in with the propeller stopped. Now I'll just show this landing and then we better crack on because I've uh, got a lot to, uh, to show you. <clears throat> so 
Yes, you can see the controls working. I come out of prone and then glide in. Oh, and that's a prone trike. I'll talk a bit about prone trikes um, next. So anyway, there's more of that. This is a prone trike. Um, my instructor, Howard Edwards, uh, taught me to fly hang gliders. And um, we didn't have very many good hills around, so he wanted a means of, of getting airborne um, off flat land. Um, and so to get around the problem of the high thrust line, um, we had a ball joint up here, rose joint, and then um, the engine suspended underneath and the thrust line went through the combined centre of gravity of the pilot and the wing. Um, and uh, this uh, handled very nicely in flight. It had hardly any difference between power on and power off handling. Um, and, and also we combined it with a simple um, uh, undercarriage so that we could take off from flat ground. Um, and this, this worked very well. This is a Chagas Cyclone single surface wing. Um, unfortunately, Howard was killed in it um, uh, due to either a rough running engine. He turned around to adjust his carburetor and didn't attend to flying his machine and uh, stalled it from about 15 feet. And then it's not terribly crash worthy because there's the inertia of the engine in his back. Um, also, it is possible that he crashed because his boot hooks got caught up in his rear rigging. But anyway, it was all rather traumatic um, at the time. Um, but, uh, undeterred, I built my own machine and then flew it in the first World Microlite Championships in 1985. So, um, I still have that uh, power unit and may resurrect it sometime. And then just continuing the, the, the powered hang gliding theme, this was uh, in 2000 when um, foot-launched powered flying machines were deregulated. Um, in the very early days, we'd been kind of um, continuing to fly and the CAA would, would turn a sort of blind eye to it, provided it was foot-launched, we thought. But in 2000, it was deregulated. And this is... Um, uh, a carbon fibre shell on the back of a standard hang gliding harness, a 120cc two-stroke engine and a chain reduction drive and a folding prop. And these are retractable um, undercarriage legs. The handling of that was never as pleasant as the, with the prone trike with the engine mass concentrated near the centre of gravity. Anyway... Uh, back to 1979, this is about the first commercialised modern trike. And you can see that it's a hang glider with a very simple um, trike-type structure underneath it. Um, and the thrust line is through the pilot and doesn't affect the wing, um, which is a key thing. And there are a number of advantages of that basic layout... Um, <clears throat> it's obviously very simple and you can repair it easily. You can transport it. doesn't have moving control surfaces. Um, it's very simple, um, so you can maintain it easily. Um, it doesn't cost much to buy. 
Um, one of the big advantages of weight shift control in pitch is that if you have a, um, a tailless, uh, tailless wing, um, which is fixed to the pilot, then um, you're controlling it with um, an elevator on the trailing edge. And the problem then is that um, just when you want the maximum lift coefficient to land, you scrub it all away with up elevator. Whereas with weight shift pitch control, which is what the birds do when they come into land, um, you can keep the same aerofoil shape and get um, a higher lift coefficient or maintain the lift coefficient. We get a lift coefficient of nearly two out of the bottom flex wing. Um, Yes, it's uh, simple. It doesn't have things like fuselages or control surfaces or, or tailplanes or doors, which all goes to reduce the cost and weight, so that you end up with a machine that can carry more than its own weight in payload. Um, you can't spin it, although you can tumble it if, you're, um, if you have a real death wish. Um, there's a direct control of the wing lift on landing and takeoff. And this is something that I've realized only fairly recently, is that with a trike, because the angle of attack of the wing is variable on the undercarriage, um, you can take off at any speed you want between um, the stalling speed and, say, uh, three times the stalling speed. And the same with landing. You can really decide when you're going to put it on the ground at, at any speed you like over a big range. Um, and it, it gives you a, a, if it's a good handling one, it's, it's like flying a, a high-performance three-dimensional motorcycle. Um, yes, yeah, so this is just an illustration of the problem of um, reflex applied to um, a tailless wing. Um, now, a tailless wing can be stabilized by um, sweep and washout or twist, um, or it can be stabilized um, by um, not having sweep. You can make a, a tailless wing stable, um, and this is one such. Um, the only thing that you have to do is stabilize it directionally. Um, but if you look at the back of this, it's got um, a kick upwards, and this is called reflex. And with this sort of reflexed aerofoil, you can get a positive pitching moment so that that one should also uh, glide quite happily. Um, but the maximum lift coefficient you can generate goes down the more reflex you put in. So this is the problem. Just when you want to, to pitch up for landing, you've only got a lift coefficient of 0.5 as opposed to the symmetrical aerofoil, which has a zero pitching moment and a lift coefficient of 1. Um, so it makes uh, conventional rigid tailless machines somewhat limited. You also have a, a tiny centre of gravity range. Centre of gravity range of a stable aircraft is typically somewhere around 10% of the length of the vehicle. If you have a tailless machine, then this means that your centre of gravity range is very small, and this makes it um, rather demanding for, um, for loading constraints. Um, so, we were um, flying our powered hang gliders, and the CAA were turning a blind eye, and then there were some accidents and questions were asked in the house about why people were allowed to continue doing this. And um, 
So um, airworthiness requirements were imposed um, principally because of accidents to, to two-seater microlites, which were used in flying schools. Um, the, the, the solo pioneers um, having accidents, um, it was almost like mountaineers, really. It didn't significantly affect the public. But once you'd got flying schools and two-seaters, um, really you had, it had to be regulated or banned. Um, so um, I found myself um, helping to write the original BCAR Section S airworthiness requirements um, with Anne Welch and Lorne Welch. And the first definition was 150 kilos with 10 kilos per square metre, which gave you a smallest wing of 15 square metres. Now, fortunately for the flex wing, um, you could count the whole wing area as being your 15 square metres. If you had a three-axis control machine, um, you could only count the main plane, which is a bit of a cheat, really, because the tail plane of a swept wing is obviously on the tips. But anyway, that was the first definition. Um, that was then changed, I don't know why, to a um, wing loading limitation um, at maximum all-up weight instead of empty weight, uh, 25 kilos per square metre, which gives you 15.24 as your minimum wing area you can have. And then it all changed again. Um, in 1999, um, the European definition, which, is, which was adopted, which had a stall speed limit, and each time the regulations changed, it meant um, uh, a new um, opportunity or possibility, I suppose. Um, well, with the trike layout, uh, I suppose the design, well, in fact, for hang gliders generally, the design which really um, revolutionised the whole thing was the Comet, which was designed by Roy Haggard, produced in America, and this had a number of features. Um, you can see that the cross boom is enclosed, so that reduces the drag. Um, the aerofoil is a high-lift aerofoil based on the Liebeck University of Illinois 1720 section. Um, and it had a floating keel arrangement. Some people call it a floating cross boom, but it's really a floating keel, which I can show you in a minute. Um, but this really... Um, revolutionized the performance, uh, you could get uh, um, more than 10 to 1 glide out of it, which doesn't sound very much. Um, but also, the glide polar was extended. You could get a better glide at high speed. Um, so this is um, a BCAR Section S Issue 1 machine, the Q-Wing, with um, 15 um, square metres, 150 kilos empty weight, and one of the things about this was that at high speed, with this trike unit without a pod on it, um, it was fine. But as soon as um, people started wanting to fit pods to um, reduce the, um, the wind chill uh, and reduce drag, uh, it became unstable in yaw so that you would fly along and if the trike unit yawed off one way, then it would cause the, the wing to yaw and then it would roll and then it would snap through the other way and yaw the other way. Um, and so um, one of the f 
first things I did when I started working at Pegasus was um, put spat fins on, and now they're used everywhere. Uh, contemporary was the Flash 2 Alpha, the main air Flash 2 Alpha, which was our competition at the time, um, which had high performance, but this detached... In order to get the roll handling, the undersurface was detached like this, and at high speed, that could move around in unpredictable ways. And um, they had some, there were some accidents where the aircraft inverted following uh, roll reversals. Um, so it also had rather a sharp stall, and so it had problems with tumbling. Um, this was the quasar I designed, which was um, my sort of first attempt at moving the trike unit out of the flying deck chair era. Um, and this is section S issue two, the slightly bigger wing. Um, and all these aircraft so far were powered by two-stroke engines, which have a very high power-to-weight ratio, but they're not fantastically reliable, and they don't last all that long, and they have high fuel consumption. Um, so um, we were able, within that 390 kilo limit, um, to fit the Rotax 912S or, and 912 engine. And we thought, gosh, that's so expensive and heavy, nobody will ever buy one, um, apart from the first um, special that uh, we did. And Mainair were going down the same route. Um, but we quickly found that the flying schools loved them because of the reliability and the economy, which would pay for itself over the life of the, um, of the aircraft. Um, some examples of this Pegasus Quantum um, are still flying with 3,000 hours on, so um, they're quite reliable. And this reliability enabled Brian Milton to um, fly right round the whole Earth uh, he did it in 120 days, I think 70 flying days it took him to get all the way round. Um, he got held up in Russia and had to have a Russian navigator, and he got held up in various other places, but um, he's a very determined man. Um, this is still a very popular training machine today. Um, then the regulations changed again, and... Um, this uh, really became quite an opportunity because I found that provided you could prevent the um, wing from distorting too much, uh, we could um, prove the um, 65 kilometer per hour stall speed with a wing two-thirds the size. And this made a big, big difference um, because we were able to... Um, basically get the cruising speed up from 55 or 60 miles an hour to 80 miles an hour. Now, if you're going out flying cross-country and it's blowing at 30 miles an hour and you're doing 55, you're down at moped or bicycle speed when you've gone somewhere downwind and you want to get home again. If you can cruise at 80, you can nearly always do 50 over the ground and you can get where you need to go. Um, also, the small wing is much easier to control in um, uh, windy weather. Um, so that's the, the quick. And that was flown solo to Australia by a paraplegic pilot, uh, Dave Sykes, who um, 
put a big tank in the back and um, flew all the way to Australia in a number of stops. Uh, a remarkable man, he put his wheelchair in the back and um, it would take him an hour to get in and out of his aircraft and um, get on his way. And that's a, a more recent two-stroke powered one. Um, so, just briefly, here is um, a curve of pitch stability of a rigid wing. This is control force versus angle of attack. And um, with the king-posted wings, these are stabilised by these luff lines here. And um, this is the kind of uh, pitching moment curve for a wing equipped with luff lines. Um, we made this adjustable... Um, put a pitch trimmer on it so we'd have the centre of gravity well forwards and then trim it slower uh, by using reflex but this reduced the lift coefficient so just when you want to land you've got higher stall speed which is not ideal and it also made the roll handling heavy um, now if you get rid of the king post on the top you have to stabilise the wing somehow um, so we use washout rods at the tips and we also um, put reflex in the keel like this. Uh, this is the tumbling problem. Um, if you approach the, the stall and um, you start to, to tail slide, um, then what happens is that the nose drops and um, then the trike falls into the wing and you end up with the weight of the trike right at the back at the trailing edge in which case it does that, um, which is, um, usually results in a structural breakup of the aircraft. Um, so how do you stop getting into a tumble situation? Well, a lot of it is training to avoid this corner of the flight envelope where you end up in a, in a vertical climb with no airspeed. Um, but also, um, if you can make the... Um, uh, aerofoil section have a, um, a docile stall characteristic. You can uh, uh, prevent that from biting the pilot quite so easily. Uh, a generous static margin, that means that the wing is very stable in pitch with the hang point well forwards. Um, so these days we don't have the problems with tumbling that we're used to. And one of the big advantages of the flex wing trike is that they don't spin. Um, it's it is possible to spin a hang glider, but um, not a trike very easily. Um, so, uh, with a rigid wing, the pitching characteristics are um, are well defined. But with a, a flexible wing, um, you have to make sure that it's going to be stable. Um, when the sail gets unloaded. So this is a wind tunnel balance on the top of a truck in Germany, uh, which is used for their certification. Um, and then this is uh, a British version, and this is the Quickar prototype on the top here. And this is a curve of the pitching moment uh, versus keel angle for the uh, Quickar. Um, which shows stable characteristics. Basically, if this line um, was to go below the zero and then come back up again, you'd have a, an unstable region. 
um, if, the, if this curve was parallel to this line, you would have neutral um, stability. And if it goes the other way, it would be absolutely unstable in pitch. Um, so you have to work out your plan form at aerodynamics center and put your central gravity in the right place with a static margin. And this distance is quite small, um, a few percent of the, of the cord. So the position of the hang point is very critical. Um, this uh, hang point position here. But the central gravity of the trike unit um, is not so critical. It just varies the range of control movements, not the trim speed. So despite being a tailless aircraft, the trike layout means that the, that the loading um, is much less critical. Uh, this is uh, turning. So basically the pilot is applying a roll moment to the wing, but that tends to cause adverse yaw to begin with before it follows round. Um, so there's my central gravity displaced off to the side, as you see. And I think you might be able to see it adverse yaw and then start to, to turn. So that's weight shift control in action. Um, now this is flying along on the way back from Finmere uh, last week. And I think um, if I just go back again and run that... Um, yeah, there's a control input, which there is a control input. I've moved the bar that way, and this is just with one hand. There's the roll developing, you can see on the artificial horizon, and it's now going round in a 360-degree turn, a quite um, neutral stability at this stage. Uh, we tune the anhedral and dihedral to give a, a reasonably um, benign um, neutral spiral characteristic. And then to come out of it, I'm going to move my hand that way, uh, pull the bar in a bit, move the bar that way, and there's the roll coming back again. So that's um, just basic uh, roll control. Here's pitch. So you push out on the bar, increase the angle of attack, airspeed drops, uh, pull in, and you can see the airspeed come up. There's 87, 90 miles an hour, 104 I think it's peaked at. Um, and there's just one more pitch cycle. We've got airspeed here on the display and the horizon, so it's down to 38. And then letting the bar come in again, you can see the horizon dropping, airspeed building up. There's a little input I've made to the right, and that will cause a, a right bank. So it's just a nudge of weight shift. Um, you let it respond, and then it will tend to go around by itself. Um, now we can tune the wing by um, biasing the wingtips. If you have a turn hands off, you can bias the wingtips in opposite directions. The less intuitive thing is that if you want the wing to turn to the right at high speed, you can apply reflex to this part of the sail and it acts like a tab. Um, normally on a rigid wing, this sort of control deflection upwards would of course give you a right bank, it's um, right aileron. On a flex wing, this reflex here causes um, a low pressure region under the trailing edge, uh, which tends to push the trailing edge down, increase the angle of attack of that part of the wing, 
and it will actually turn to the left. It's more effective at high speed than low. Uh, we've had problems with the undersurface inflating, and um, this is a measure to prevent that happening by venting at this part of the sail here. We had a problem where where the wing was yawing, it would inflate on one side on the undersurface, that would drop, and then it would start to yaw the other way. The other surface would inflate, and that would start to drop, and it would drive a, a Dutch roll-type oscillation. And this uh, venting stopped it. So we put all these features together, and this is the, the quick R. Um, and this now holds all the world speed records for this flex-wing type of aircraft, and as you can see, the performance figures are, are, are a million miles away from what we started out with. Um, so here's a little more extreme version of the control movements. Uh, this is at Dubai, um, and this was a, a pylon race and then a spot landing, uh, which uh, Rob in the audience will remember well. There's, you have to do a short takeoff and then go into a pylon race course. And I hope you've got strong stomachs. So it's accelerated up to over 100 miles an hour, flat out, and it's approaching the first pylon. So there's a roll input going in, and then he's pushing the bar to coordinate the turn. So round he goes, and then opposite weight shift, round the next pylon. I'm having difficulty standing up straight here. And another pylon racing turn. Uh, pulling about 4G round these turns. There's an app that you can get on an iPhone that records the G-loading and we plotted it out. And we um, got a dispensation to exceed the 60-degree um, placarded bank angle limits. Um, so this is at the end of the course. He's got to go through a laser speed trap. So this is um, approaching this wall of concrete at 100 miles an hour through a laser beam. And then he's uh, climbing up for a spot landing. This was a sort of competition event, actually Rob devised it, um, to um, show all the things that a microlight could do. Short takeoff, maneuverability, um, and this is a precision landing, power off. Uh, quick R glides at about, around um, about 10 or 11 to 1. So um, if you have engine failure, you can glide in. This bit's speeded up, by the way. <laughs> and then over the tape, And that landing is very interesting because what they were doing was um, coming in at very low level power off, um, skimming along about a foot above the ground and on the uh, marker to get maximum points for the landing, I think they were just pulling the bar in a bit and conk onto the ground and then pull the bar in and apply full brakes and um, pick up the maximum points. And it was fascinating, this, really. I was marshalling, 
um, the, the gyros were taking longer to take off, they were slower around the course, and much less precise on the spot landing. So it was all rather gratifying, really. Um, so this is uh, just some certification stuff I had to do. Uh, devised an extensometer to go on the sail to determine the stretch in the sailcloth in manoeuvres, and then I'd reproduce um, that um, on test pieces. Uh, the advantage of the strutted wing is that you can fold it like this quite quickly, um, which makes it easy to store, and it can blow a gale overnight. You're not worried about it. Um, or you can fold it down further, and this is a chap I saw at the weekend who's got a, a car transporter trailer, folded the trike down, and then put it on a skate like this. So it's very um, compact. Um, this is the Pulsar, which I designed, um, which is all composite monocoque, which you saw in the first slide. Um, and it uses resin infusion. Um, I think it, it may be about the first time that primary composite structure has been made using resin infusion, at least in the UK. Um, and, um, yes, it, it's uh, been technically successful, not fantastically commercially successful, although we are building one for a customer right now. Um, this is a roll control and trim system where... For fast trim, you're hanging from a forward hang point, so it'll trim hands off at 90 or 100 miles an hour. And then there's an electric winch and a spring, bungee, which pulls the keel down and pulls the washout rods up. The big advantage of this, or one advantage, is that if you're flying in turbulence and you've got this spring tensioned and you hit an up gust, it will actually de-pitch slightly as you uh, go through the turbulence. It's like having airborne suspension. So that's it in the pitch axis. In the roll, um, you can see that the cords are pulled asymmetrically. So when you apply a right roll input, um, this cord goes tight, that one goes slack, this washout rod gets pulled up, um, so you get more billow in this one than that one. And at the same time as you're pulling the cord this way, the keel is being pulled the other direction, so it tightens the sail on this side, slackens it on this side, and this all helps the roll response. Um, other manufacturers have got other approaches. This is a corset um, where the tension in the centre of the sail can be adjusted, um, so you can have it slow and floppy or fast and tight. Uh, nowadays, there are um, some interesting lightweight machines. This is uh, with a four-stroke engine, so you can get down to two or three litres per hour, which uh, is really economical flying. And similarly, this one is a, a similar kind of machine, but with a retractable undercarriage, believe it or not. Um, so what's next for the flex wing? You could power it... Um, Electric power, um, not very good for, for long distance um, because the energy density is still about a 20th of that of petrol. But um, you've got very reliable starting and um, high power for a short time. 
So ideal for launching and getting into a thermal. Um, for thermal soaring, this one has a folding propeller, uh, direct drive brushless motor, um, so you can get about, about half an hour's local flying out of it. Um, so um, this is just to show the kind of visibility that you've got in a flex-wing trike. Um, and it is marvellous to fly cross-country like this. Um, I've been to, this year, I've been uh, to um, uh, Lyon in France. That was one trip. Um, Blois near Tours on another. And uh, Paris as well. Um, and it's really quite practical. You've got more than 400 miles range at 80 or 90 miles an hour uh, with two people. Um, so I'm not suggesting you can quite get to the moon, but um, it was rather good to get this uh, uh, in the shot. This is um, the hypertrike. And then I think finally... Oh, all this is, is flying home from Finmere last week. Um, and I'm passing my favourite house, which is Ashmore House. You can see it's like a Lego brick. Um, you get such a good view out of a trike, and um, you don't get the slipstream blasting at you too much with a good windscreen. Um, I've got my sandwiches behind the windscreen, and I'm just whizzing along on my way home from Finmere. So uh, I'll just leave that running. I think yeah. that's about it. Thank you very much, man.